Hi, everybody. This is Tony Khan, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. And we're sitting right underneath two guys hammering furiously on a new building for the Harvard Business School. We thought this would be a quiet location, but uh, we'll, we'll do with that. It's, it's a nice human sound. It's the sound of industry. So let's say we're from Studio C today, C for the crypt of capitalism here in Boston, Massachusetts. People often ask me, how do you decide on what is going to be a morning story? Well, I think it's time we finally told you the secret. Our process is pure serendipity. This all began about three years ago during a vacation that I was taking uh, on Cape Cod when I decided to get a small tape recorder, a little bridge table, a couple of chairs and an umbrella and a hand-lettered sign saying, what's your story? And sit in three public places in the area and see who came by. My idea was that everybody's got a story to tell and if there's somebody there who really seems interested in listening well that story is going to just take shape i remember the first day that i sat out there it was outside the library in provincetown massachusetts and i saw all these people go by bikers tourists day trippers gay couples skateboarders world famous artists dogs with tattoos how was i going to stop them who was going to come by what was i going to say would they like me well, any doubt I had that people didn't have stories to tell me. It was completely blown out of the water by the very first person who came by. She was a woman in her late 60s, I would guess, walking on the other side of the street. We caught each other's eye, and she toddled right over. And I sat there in awe as she spilled out story after story about her life right there on the bridge table. So today, on the, on the anniversary of that date, as far as I can tell, and, and as we near the first anniversary of this podcast, I'd like to offer you just a few selections from that raw tape that I recorded that day with that wonderful woman. My first conversation, the mother of all morning stories, something we call, you don't look Jewish. I think it's nice, the name Tony. Yeah. It's different uh-huh. uh, for a Jewish boy to have it. Now, you looked at me and you thought Jewish right away, right? By your last name. But then again, you can't tell because, you know, the Jews changed their names a lot, especially during the Holocaust in Germany. People, a lot of them didn't want to tell people they were from Germany. You knew people who had been through that? Oh, right. I used to own a beauty salon at Sydney Hill Country Club. It's a Jewish club. I was the only Gentile... I was, had a full membership there. From that, I joined Histadred, which is the labor movement of Israel. And then I joined the American Jewish Congress. And then my daughter married a Jewish boy, and she converted. I have two uh, Jewish grandchildren. I love the Jewish religion. That was one of my main reasons why I went to Israel. I wanted to see where it all started. Did you convert yourself? No, I didn't. I'm Catholic. I have strong feelings towards my faith, but... If it wasn't for the Jews, we wouldn't have the Ten Commandments. The Jews are my chosen people. God the Father said that. So if he could choose them, why can't I choose them? What do you think about people who say, this is what the Bible says and this is exactly what it means. This is the way you should feel about gays or this is the way you should feel about people who do one thing or another. I believe the true gay is born that way. Just like a morphodite who is part male and part female. Were they made that way, or did they make themselves that way? Mm-hmm. How did you grow up to be such an accepting person? Well, I studied the life of Jesus. He was kind, love your neighbor as yourself. 
be forgiving, and most of all, love everybody if you possibly can. I'm a senator for the Silver Hair Legislature. I, uh, I'm an advocate for the seniors. Uh, for instance, I got the diabetes bill put through. Now, diabetics can get free needles, free strips, and a free machine to test their blood. So if you were to, to die tomorrow, would you feel that you'd pretty much done everything you wanted to do, or would there be something still you, you regret that you hadn't gotten around to well, saying or doing? Well, I've come close to death, but I pray very hard to get back my health, which I did. God saved me for a reason. And I'm down P-Town now, and I'm looking around to see how I can kind of help in counseling or helping. And uh, I am a minister of the Holy Eucharist in the Catholic Church. And uh, we pray over people that are dying or to heal them or to give them self-confidence. And prayer can overcome an awful lot. Uh, I noticed when I lived in Israel at the Whalen Wall, people went there every hour on the hour, the same person, just praying in that whaling wall. And Muslims did too in the mosque. I heard someone say once, all prayers are answered, usually with no. <laughs> it's not true. But you, if you really concentrate on it, you meditate on it, and turn yourself over, if you don't believe in God, but the higher power or whatever, you'll see your life turn around. Was there any big turning point in your life? Yes, and if I told you, you may say I'm crazy. But I was in my business, and I remember doing my work at my desk, and a strange voice came to me, and it said to me, put your work down, this part of your life has ended. And the second time was when I was in the uh, hospital, having two tumors removed from my lung, Again, I saw his image, and he said, give this message to my people. And he repeated, give this message to my people. And I was looking at him saying, what, what? And then all of a sudden he was gone, and then a breeze came, a big breeze. And it said to me, the word, the word, not the, the. So I called my priest up the next day. I said, it's overwhelming, but this is the second time I heard that voice. Well, he says, he wants you to go out and talk to people like I'm talking today to you, Tony, and say there is another world. Does that make it easier to live with the loss of the people that you love? Especially when I lost my mother. I had a deep love for her, and she died in her middle 50s. Hmm. And I thought I would never get over that death. But this isn't final. This is only the beginning. In the biggest sense, what is your story? I got the message. <laughs> I tell you. Being at peace. Thank you so much. Okay, Tony. You too. There we have it, what I guess you could call the mother of all morning stories. I must have interviewed maybe 40 people that summer, three different locations, and a little, the one and only convenience store in Truro, Massachusetts, called Jams, at a flea market in Wellfleet, and outside the library in Provincetown. And I was never disappointed. People always had something amazing to say about themselves.
I was talking to this young lady, must have been about, oh, 14 or 15 years old. Her mother dropped her off and gave her 10 minutes to, to just be interviewed. And she started telling me about, you know, all the problems that she had at that age, how nobody understood her, nobody liked her. I, I sort of wanted to encourage her that this wasn't always going to be the case, that she would grow out of this. And so I, I asked her, I said, you know, things are bad now, but if there was any one thing you could think of that would make your life maybe just a little bit better right now, what would it be? And so she looks at me, and without a moment's hesitation, she says, 20 minutes in another body. How do you like uh, that? Ah, yes, uh? that's... Uh, that's that, adolescence, that, huh? That's a refrain that uh, I think I've heard before, but not quite in that way, no. Well, in thinking about the, the P-Town lady, yeah, you know, I think the one line that struck me coming out of her story Jesus chose the Jews why can't I anyway anyway we had a, a visit recently with um, well you can't call him the father of podcasting but I think you could call him the stay at home father of podcasting his name is Dan Class he's the host of a podcast called the Bitterest Pill and he's a, an actor which means that 98% of his time he's at home waiting to get a call to go to work or an audition. And that's where we caught Dan just the other day at home. The driving is an hour and 15 minutes one way and then an hour and 15 minutes the other way. And this is only to go, you know, 20 miles. And then uh, the audition, you know, two seconds. So work often involves driving incredibly long times to cover not necessarily long distances so right. that in between you can spend seconds to try to earn enough to last you the whole year. Dan, my question for you is, <laughs> how come you're not nuts? <laughs> I am nuts. But also, I'm in, you know, I'm in a unique position in that my wife works. Um, you know, we're not in peril. Can I ask you a little bit about you in podcasting? Who, who am I to deny you, Tony? You're an estimable figure in the uh, middle-aged phenomenon of podcasting. Uh, is podcasting already middle-aged? Internet time. It's like dog years. We've been at this for a long time now, and it, we, we haven't even come up on a year. Tell me why it feels like a long time to you. Uh, I think because, uh, you know, it keeps changing. But maybe that's how it feels when you're producing and editing and hosting and writing and doing everything yourself. Mm -hmm. And my kitchen is under reconstruction. That'll kill And my you. kids are home upheaval. Uh, I mean, I still love it, but in a, in a lot of show business, the best thing to do is to kind of pick a persona or uh, a shtick or whatever and, and then stick with it. And I'm still trying to operate, and perhaps naively, as a person instead of a brand. It's my daughter, Chalu. She's brought her piggy bank in to see me. That's right. The coins go right in there. I had a little TV show on for her, but they're between programs. Where'd she go? Oh, I lost her. Wow, where'd she go? We have a 200-square-foot house, and I can't find my daughter. Oh, there she is. She's wearing a cape now. Ooh. You got your cape? You look absolutely ravishing. She's a superhero. Devastating beauty. She wields it like a samurai sword. <laughs> yeah, I'm really nutty about my kids. That's my one of the great daughter. things about your podcast. You are a dad who shows it. You bring up such a great point about what it is we're trying to do. Yeah, am I trying to create this perfect-sounding, quote-unquote, broadcast-style thing, or am I just trying to be honest, like how I'm reacting to my kids that second or whatever? Do I want to have more of a guarantee that people are going to like the show or more of a guarantee that it's just off the cuff? Uh, you get that one email where the person says, I don't know, man, you're kind of slipping. 
<laughs> and it, oh, like I keep like just now, I kind of chuckled. They made fun of me for chuckling like that. So now, <laughs> because I'm a baby, I'm actually aware of when I do that. This is well, ridiculous. There you go. No, see, I it, I'm a mess. You are a mess. Maybe I should worry more. Are you about to jump? Yeah. Really? No. Okay. No. Well, I'm just I'll, I'll have just a breakdown. Checking. Yeah, but I won't jump. Yeah. You know, you agonize over it. You're maybe involved in this great new thing. You better not lose any footing. Better not lose any audience members. You better not. You better blah 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 blah. And it drives you nutty. At the same time, iTunes has given us all a boost, and the New York Times zeroes in on you as an important personality. Now, does that make a difference? Part of me loves it. Because mm-hmm. we're not getting paid, we're not doing this, we're not doing that. But it creates expectation. Because I always feel like I have to steal the time to do the show, I have to be really kind of clear-headed when I sit down to do the show, mm-hmm. that that stuff becomes kind of a distraction and kind of just, I don't know, overwhelming. Daddy, look at me! You got an adorable daughter. Can you draw on me? I have to ask her a question. Hold on. Sure. Hey, sweetie pie, what did you just say? You want to draw? Draw what you Oh, you want to play with your choo-choo? Do you want to put the track together? Yeah. Let's put the track together. All right, right. Tony, while we talk, I'm going to put a track together. You know, we get so caught up in the future of podcasting. Mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is, and, and I probably speak for most podcasters, I'm still kind of thrilled and humbled by the fact that people go out of their way to listen to the show. I mean, it's, I never lose sight of that, or I try. You know, I shouldn't say never. I try. I mean, it's, you know. I just remember so vividly how excited I was to get my first email. I got one pretty early on from Germany, and it was just mind-blowing. You know, that was the power of podcasting, and it's still the power of podcasting. Some, you know, knucklehead like me can sit in his back room with a microphone, and suddenly, yeah, you've got a little tentacle that goes from, you know, your hard drive all the way across the country and across the ocean and all through Europe to Germany. And then another one that goes to the Philippines and another one that goes to Australia, and yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of mind-boggling to anything. Dan Class, host of The Bitterest Pill, the little podcast that could. We're grateful to Dan, as we are to Ipswich, our sponsor for Lo These Many Internet Weeks. Check them out at ipswich.com, I-P-S-W-I-T-C-H. Right, Gare? Absolutely. And we have a website, too wgbh.org slash morning stories and feel free to send us an email while you're there morning stories at wgbh.org see you next week